You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are Flex and Herds. This is your murder mystery world tour, and welcome back to part two of Sins for Father Knox by Josef Skvareski. Herds. Flex. Oh, we're in the deep end this time. We're in the sins. We're learning all about Josef uh, Skvareski's uh, enjoyment of pain in his readers, <laughs> uh, but also his sense of whimsy and fun. So really, yeah. it's a mixed bag. <laughs> Today, we are covering the fourth through seventh stories in the collection. A question of alibis, why so many shamuses, a miscarriage of justice, and the mathematicians of Grizzly Drive. Yeah. I will say right out the gate, Herds, mathematicians of Grizzly Drive can go die in a grizzly hole. Look, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a puzzle that relies on math for its solution. Yep. There might be some rubbish. We'll we'll talk about this more in the third Goodness. part, but <laughs> I wonder what Knox rule it could possibly be it, breaking. Uh supernatural, obviously. <laughs> supernatural rule. It was of course, close the whole time. Mathem- it wasn't actually mathematicians maths. are just all wizards. Yeah, they're all wizards. That's how it works. Mathematicians, <sighs> they do magic. <laughs> of course, if you are not familiar with the Ronald Knox Decalogue, it is a series of murder mystery rules that breaks down the how to do of a fair play murder mystery. And Josef Skoreski came in and said to us, you know what, Flex Herds, I want to break all of these rules. And yeah. we said, Josef, that's a fantastic idea. Don't mess it up. Um, we're, we're a bit over a th- halfway through. He's <laughs> doing a right job. He's doing it mostly good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I will say I mm-hmm. wanted to throw this out the gate, Flex, because I've been saying this whole time, ever since we started the show, I think, yes. ever since the three taps, that was a long time ago, I've been saying I love the idea of a detective who, like, travels between, you know, between stories. Especially in these short story collections, we never get a through line. It's always just, here's some random mm-hmm. guy, and he's going to solve a crime out in the out in the cabin and in the mist. And then he's going to solve, someone else is going to solve the mystery of a ruby and a cauldron. We have Eve Adam now. Yes. She goes from story to story. She grows and changes. And she's like, there's like a world. There's world building in this. There's her lovely stripper friend, Zuska, who is now... Pregnant with her detective boyfriend's child from yes. the third, the second story. Like, it's great. <laughs> it I love is it. Phenomenal. This this collection is proving to be absolutely excellent, except for the mathematicians who grizzly drive. We'll get there. Oh dear. But yeah, no. This story goes through a, a first a murder mystery about. Uh, two men who definitely are not twins and what? definitely don't happen to be at different wow. places at the you, same time. Are you time. trying to like just solve everything before we even talk about the murders? Is that what's happening sure. here? Sure. I mean, I can do that if you want. <laughs> I wasn't going to try to do that. That would be really jumping the gun. That would be really jumping Much the gun. Much like just... one of the two twins who definitely uh-huh. isn't in this first uh-huh. story uh-huh. Uh, didn't jump the gun by shooting his brother. Whatever, dude. I do really like uh, the way that we've kind of set uh, Zuska up as a character as well yes. you know like there's obviously this through line that like oh she's a stripper she's just a piece <laughs> of meat but no we actually get to see Whoa. her starting a family yeah. we get to see them debating I mean, how to raise their kid look it's like surprisingly well integrated given how yeah. completely out of whack with the rest look. of the story it is uh, alright let's just get it out of the way let's, let's get mathematicians of Grizzly Drive out all of right. the way because I don't want to think about it for too much longer let's go so we are taken to a fine academic party at UC Berkeley. Eve makes wonderful quips about how, how much she dislikes cocktail parties and how they mm. take all of the worst parts of drinking and the worst parts of socializing and slip it all together. Yep, yep. It's, it's like, as much as I dislike what this story is asking me to do, it is a very <laughs> well put together story. It's good fun, yeah. 
Yeah, um, and then of course we get introduced to the mathematicians and their chess games and going back and forth all yes. about this, and then somebody gets abducted. And Brad Street, oh <gasps> no, she's been taken by who knows. So you think that the the sin is that there's gonna be a long explanation at the end. That's the one you're like hedging on, right? That's the one you're like yeah, towards. That's it? the one I'm definitely okay. turning towards. It's called Mathematicians of Grizzly Drive. It has a goddamn quadraticish <laughs> equation in there. Um, as I said last week, I'm stopping the page before we yeah. actually get the uh, get the stop box. Uh, which means that technically I'm not allowed to solve the equation. Did you see it? Did you have a look? I, I did not have a look. Oh my goodness. However, well. earlier in the story, we are presented with a uh, a little equation and visual representation of a mm. symbol for love, which is definitely not representative of anyone's loins. Okay, and good thing. I'm imagining that Keep that is what the e- e- quadratic equation is going to be, because otherwise it would be very not fair play and also breaking Knox's rules. Fair enough. And Joseph Skoreski has so, been very firm down the line of breaking the rules and being fair. Right. So remember that it's not just about identifying the sin. You also need to answer all the questions in the box. Okay. So for this one, you need to tell me who abducted Anne Bradstreet, mm-hmm. who was telling the truth, where and why. All right. So. Tell me. Flex. I think that it was Ernst Daly. Ernst okay. Daly, who is, sure. who is responsible. I reckon, hedging my bets here, but it doesn't necessarily ask me to do this, that... The Viper is his uh, is his aide in this. Okay, sure. And uh, <laughs> you're not going to ask me to solve the the equation that's uh, not in the box, is it? You you don't have to solve the equation itself. <laughs> I enjoyed reading this story. I did not enjoy solving it. It's uh, it's a bit of it's a bit of a mess. Um, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So we'll we'll see how it turns out uh, as we as we get to read past the the question box. Alrighty. That's your answer then. That is my answer. Cool. Okay. Fair enough. Let's uh, let's move on quickly. Talk about the other stories in the collection. We obviously have uh, a question of alibis, um, where I believe it to be the brothers who are brothers. definitely definitely not twins. <laughs> I mean, we're kind of shown the times of the crime and taken back and forth. And I think that it's pretty obvious that they uh, they they're, they're swapping places around. Okay, so who was the killer in that story then? So Mr. Jensen is clearly the killer. Uh, mm. Which which Mr. Jensen I don't know because there's <laughs> quite obviously two of them. Okay, uh, particularly when we look at the times that they were at certain places, it doesn't make sense that there was only one of them. Uh, the the ambiguity with which the story kind of presents who was where when is very elegantly laid out to make it confusing as to whether or not. There, uh, there is more than one Mr. Jensen, and I really like the way that it's done that. Sure. And of course, I am meant to answer how the crime is committed. Yes. Uh, so that would be the brothers in the hotel room that they that they have one of them's gone in and shot the other and walked out and pretended that there's only one of them. Fair enough. Fair enough. So that is our twins rule there. Makes sense to me. And what about uh, why so many Seamuses? That's the next one we should kind of tackle here. Uh, so many triangles in this one, Herds. Mm. Here I was thinking that we were going to be done with mathematics before we got to the mathematicians of Definitely Grizzly not. Drive. Definitely just no. mass everywhere. No. This one doesn't actually have any questions. It just says, I, I sure hope you've worked yeah. it out. It says, uh, the, the note that I have here is, who is the killer? That's yes. what I've written down. It's the question you have to answer, but you don't really need to tell me any other details. Well, it was uh, it was good, good, good Mr. Johnny, of course. Ah, why is it Johnny? Johnny Starrett, he was, uh, you know... He basically created this entire array of triangles. The crimes are on his consciousness. Okay. His conscience, rather. I mean, they're basically the same thing. 
Yes, of course, we know that uh, the only man that could have been responsible for that typewritten letter was one Johnny Starrett based on where he was. He was the only one at the correct scenes to actually get that typewritten letter forged. So uh, I'm pinning it on him. And then uh, a miscarriage of justice, Herds. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I need you to tell me who committed what crime. Also the sin. Well, it was Eve Adam. Mm. I, uh, what, what crime did she commit? Well, you know that suitcase that she pulled out from under the bed? Yeah. I have a I have an inkling that there might have been a bit of a device X in that one. Ah, I see, I see. A uh a little bit of a a contraption. But of course a a timed contraption or something that goes off when you open the container isn't uh isn't really that far fetched. Okay. So I'm not going to say that that's the device X. I was gonna say you're leaning towards that. a completely different but role there. I do believe that Eve is the one that opened the box, and thus she is both the one that committed the sin of the crime and the sin of being the detective that committed it. So she's the one who, like, blew up that man's house. Well, I believe that, you know, he was the one that laid the the trap there to make it happen, but mm. Eve was the one that actually technically set it off, and that's what we're hinging on here. Enough. That sounds like a little bit of cheating, but you know what? You say it. that as yeah. though that isn't the premise of the collection. Yeah, you know, it's breaking some rules. <laughs> what are you doing breaking rules like this? This is nonsense. Sins for Father Knox White. Sins for... And herds. Get yep, that is exactly what this book Get is. Here. All right. Oh, well, herds, it's time we're up against our interview. This week, it's yeah, yeah. Adam Graham, the host of The Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, a fantastic podcast that is nearly 3,000 episodes long. I thought you were about to say years old. I was about to correct you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's massive. I I cannot imagine going through such a monumental project. Yeah. It is very impressive getting to look at all of the best radio dramas in murder mystery history. We'll be speaking with him coming up next on Death of the Reader. This is Flex and Herds bringing you your murder mystery world tour. Today, we are chatting with Adam Graham, host of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio podcast. He's coming to us from out in the heartland of America in Boise, Idaho. Adam, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Good to be here. So, Adam, you've committed yourself to this monumental task of traveling through the uh, five separate series of radio detective stories each week, one episode at a time. Your most popular show, yours truly, Johnny Dollar, being over 800 episodes long and its original broadcast lasting for 12 years. What kind of motivated you to take up such a monumental task? Well, uh, it started out, um, currently I'm actually doing six episodes, six uh, series. Um, it, it started out, I was doing Dragnet, which was a 1949 to 55 radio series. It spun off into television. Um, and, you know, and I kind of actually, I discovered the 60s TV show, then I discovered the 50s uh, TV show, and then I discovered the radio, the radio show. And so... I was doing Dragnet starting back in uh, 2007, and people kept emailing me about these other shows, and I'd say, you know, I can't really start a podcast that's centered on most of these other programs, uh, you know, because a lot of them would go away, and, you know, because there's, you know, not all that many episodes. Dragnet, there's about 300 uh, that were in circulation. And so uh, I came up with the idea the you know what I could what I could do is I could do a podcast you know Monday through Friday uh, initially and I would do a different detective program each week one of them finishes just slot in another uh, series to replace it uh, 
And so uh, I've been doing that. It will be 10 years on the 26th of October um, of just going through series after series after series. Yeah, so you find that that performance really adds something, I think, to the detective fiction genre. I know when we were covering um, the S.S. Van Dyne series, we jumped from the books to the movies and were really shocked by how William Powell changed the character in a very appealing way. Yeah, there, there are some portrayals that really do work, particularly you know when it comes to some of the characters who do have a literary uh, origin. Uh, there are quite a few different, you know, quite a few different takes on Sherlock Holmes. Of course, Basil Rathbone had great history over radio, uh, and then there was the John Stanley, and uh, each of those brought something different uh, to the role. And Philip Marlowe, uh, Gerald Moore's take on Philip Marlowe is really uh, interesting. That is a, it's a very different version of the character from the novels, you know, even the early ones and and particularly the later ones when he was just, you know, mad at everybody and uh, just, you know, totally uh, cynical. You really had to sit down and say, okay, this might work in a short story or in a novel, but people are not going to want to listen to this exact sort of character every week. So there's uh, there are changes in the character to make them, uh, in many ways, more appealing than the literary counterparts. Yeah. I mean, as you say, in, in any instance of adaptation, uh, there's going to be changes. And I think there's a popular opinion that the original is, is superior. Um, obviously, you're dealing with uh, original radio broadcasts, but why have you decided to focus on uh, the radio show broadcasts rather than diving into into novels, the so-called original medium for murder mystery? Well, uh, I, I, I have gotten into novels, so oftentimes uh, through the uh, radio series and uh, in many ways, it's been a gateway into uh, actually um, actually picking them up. When I first started out, I was just kind of going straight off the radio series. But as I've gone on, I've 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 wanted to you know get more background. Like um, I picked up the very first Lone Wolf novel before we did uh, Lone Wolf over radio, and obviously you know. Uh, essentially, uh, a big big part of the show is we're playing the episodes so people can listen to them. The novels are great, but a lot of them are locked up, you know, under copyright, and so and it's a different experience to listen to an audio book as opposed to uh, an audio drama. Yeah. So you mentioned that a lot of your works, in fact, I think on your website you say pretty well all of your works uh, come from, you know open source things that have passed their copyright. Um, when it comes to dealing with old mediums like that, how much restoration do you have to do? What's the process of digging those up from the archives? Who are you contacting to do that? Really, most of this is, uh, I would say 99% of this is stuff that's you know posted on the internet. And it's just a matter of going to find it. Uh, now, I w- there is some touch-up of the files, you know, which have just been kind of passed on at uh, a grassroots uh, level. Uh, there is some cleanup of a gentleman named Andrew Rines out in California. He uh, uh, produces, and he'll, he'll clean up uh, some of the audio as best he can. 
But there's a lot of uh, material that's put, been put on the Internet by volunteers, by people who love these programs, and uh, taking advantage of the, uh, you know, the, the wider availability of broadband to make these uh, programs available uh, to a mass audience. Your most popular show, uh, yours truly, Johnny Dollar, uh, stars a, a freelance investigator working for, for insurance companies. And this kind of feeds into its, one of its main gimmicks um, where uh, Johnny Dollar will speak like short statements, uh, short financial statements during the broadcast to kind of use that as a transition between scenes. Uh, what other sorts of tricks have you noticed are used to take advantage of the, the audio radio format? Um, well, there's... There's a few. Um, there's a lot of first-person uh, narration. One is, you know, similar to that. You have Sam Spade who uh, comes in and you know he goes into his secretary and he tell he, you know he says hello to his secretary and he sits down and he tells um, the details of his life um, and the adventures in the form of a report, you know, to the client or occasionally to the police uh, if things have gone a bit awry with the client. Um, and, and another series, uh, you, you also have uh, Box 13, which we're going to, we did it in our very first season, and we're going to be repeating uh, in our 11th season coming up uh, uh, towards the end of this month, uh, where... Every case that comes into Box 13 uh, comes to a mystery writer. Essentially, people send letters to Box 13. He'll go anywhere. He'll do anything. That's a pretty good setup. A lot of these are, you know, uh, some are narrated. And and I think the less that you have to deal with, particularly like an outside narrator telling everything that's going to happen, uh, the better when it comes to the mysteries actually standing up. Yeah, I think that's always something that's really good to see when we go through adaptations, as we were talking about earlier, and how they actually improve on it by using their format effectively. There's kind of been a resurgence, even if not particularly big, but still kind of mainstream, of detective fiction and murder mystery stories. Uh, for example, in Australia, we have Franny Fisher's Murder Mysteries. There's, of course, the BBC Sherlock and you know a variety of shows around the world. What kind of things would you like to see modern stories reaching out and doing that you haven't seen done before? That's a really, that's a really good question. I think that, I, I, I guess for my part, I I really uh, enjoy. I would like to see something like uh, Box Thirteen, where you, you do something. You have where I think that's a great device, where uh, you where you you have you have the situation. You know, modernize it, bring it up to date, but something where. Uh, People are just thrown into a situation uh, through a contact, you know, through contact, you know, could be email, could be uh, whatever uh, the detective goes based on that. Uh, that's the type of thing I think would be, I, I, I thought you could really do a really good modern take on something like that. Uh, that, that, that would really appeal to me. Alrighty. Well, Adam, thank you so much for joining us on Death of the Reader. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on, and it's always great getting to talk with other people in the audio sphere of detective murder mystery kind of stories. 
All right. Well, it's great to be here. If you want to catch any of Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, you can check out their website on the podcast or at greatdetectives.net. This is Death of the Reader. We'll be back with Sins for Father Knox in just a second. You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are Flex and Herds. This is your Murder Mystery World Tour. And today we are covering Sins for Father Knox by Josef Skoreski. Stories 4 to 7, A Question of Alibis, A Miscarriage of Justice, The Mathematicians of Grizzly Drive, and Why So Many Shamuses. Herds, mm, oh, feeling good about that. Uh-huh. Can we just talk about Mathematicians of Grizzly Drive and what a mess that solution was? <laughs> it, we, we spent nearly the entire time in the break yeah. just trying to figure out what happened in the solution. It is. It suffers from a problem, I think, in that it doesn't explicitly like tell you the solution, yeah. which on its on its own is is fine. But I think that by virtue of like having this long drawn out solution that it's trying to tell you, and it, it hardly matters. Mm. <laughs> Like, yeah, an actual solving of the quadratic equation is purely for its own sake, for the sake of breaking the sin or, yeah. or breaking the rule, rather than actually adding anything to the story. Yeah, it's um, it's probably <laughs> the individual weakest part of the yeah. collection. Like, obviously, the rules have been very intelligently played with and broken in this story, but normally in all of the other stories, we've kind of had a moment where once we get past the the question box, it's not answers like you'd find at the back of a maths book. Yeah. It's a continuation of the story that reveals it. It's the breakdown scene with the detective. And the scene that we have here is just them drawing yeah. a diagram. Normally, and, yeah, normally there's a joke or something. Yeah. Like I, I will shout out the second story uh, for its, its, you know, there could be no secret passages gag because... They find one and then there's nothing there. And like, but what if there's a second one? Yeah. That is one of my favorite jokes in the entire collection. Um, but this just feels dry. Uh, mm. It's not enjoyable watching these characters try and solve a math problem together. Um, and yeah, I think that it doesn't c- kind of clearly sp- like uh, illuminate the solution as well yeah. as it could either. Now, I'm, um, I'm feeling pretty confident, Herds, about the fact that I got the solutions and and <laughs> sins for the well, other three stories. But I, yeah. Herds has not updated our point I, spreadsheet. No, here, no. Which I says to me, to say, Herds... I had to say, Flex. What I, have you done? I will say you correctly picked the uh, the culprit uh-huh. story. Uh, but not only did you pick an incorrect accomplice, but you also didn't explain the truth subsection of the box there. How and why and where people were lying and telling the truth. You completely neglected to address that. Okay, in my defense, Herds, in Uh my defense, uh Ernest Alley was indeed... Uh-huh. The, was indeed the culprit. Bill the Snake clearly was lying about things, and I pinned him as an accomplice. And I wasn't necessarily right about how he was lying, but I'd still say that pinning him as an accomplice would mark him as one that is not telling the truth, right? I, I don't think so. He was not willingly a, <sighs> a part of the crime. It was some random student who was the accomplice in this crime, and you did not pick that. And mind you, if you just neglected a, to a mention nameless, <laughs> A nameless student, I A nameless add. student. Who just wanted good grades and nothing else and is, you know, the real champion of the story. But unfortunately, uh, Flex, you did get everything else right, I believe, but you were not able to tell me the how or why or the truth, and you, you got Snake wrong. I'm sorry. Look. And you didn't even try clarify when I guess I skimmed over it earlier, which means, Herds, This is your job. You did this on purpose. No, this you is the job. Did this, this is the on job purpose. of the detective to know everything. Look, you're supposed to be the smart one here. Let's be real. You're supposed to be the one who's, like, on top of this. Untrue. Untrue this week. You have you have dropped the ball, sir. Herds, if this Drop is going to be how the points system becomes, 
we are going to start having some real, real Look, trouble here. This is when I pull out the, the truth grenades. So what, you, what you're basically saying here, here Herds, is that you can't keep up with me uh-huh. just by your what? sheer reasoning alone. So you have to try underhand me by Here's skipping questions. Here's the thing. Yes, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> but I did offer. <laughs> shut you. I did offer you three points for this entire novel. Which is in fairness why I'm... Don't be greedy, Vlad. Which is why I'm not going to argue the case. I just want to let you know... That's not what you've been doing for the last 10 minutes. I just want to let you know that you're in deep, sir. That's good. You are deep in a hole from which there is no escape. This is the beginning. This is the lion's den. This is where I have to fight my way out. Short (laughs) on one side, flex on the other. Let's go. (laughs) Oh, dear. All right, I yeah. can I can live with this. But the other stories, the other stories, I reckon I did pretty well. I think you did. You did. Um, these stories of the collection so far are kind of the least story stories. Sure. Like obviously we have Zuska and Niels Koln in mm. a question of alibis, who are very well fleshed out, very nicely yeah. done. It's kind of outside of the mystery, I suppose. Yeah, but yeah. the rest of the stories, it's kind of just a a puzzle with little to it. Yeah. You know, obviously there is still some great storytelling in here and I don't want to discredit how well put together this collection is, but I think that particularly for why so many Shamuses and a miscarriage of justice, I think that there's just, there's not much going on. Like yeah. the, the characters we get introduced to aren't nearly as colorful. There's just a lot more of like, Oh, well this, this isn't possible. That's not possible. Yeah. I, I will say I like on that, on that kind of vein of like, what is impossible and impossible. I like the way that Joseph Skreski uh, attempts to like obfuscate which sin he's using, but I think he gets a bit too focused on that rather than like, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Like creating an intrinsically interesting story, especially for these middle stories. Yeah. Um, like in, in um, a miscarriage of justice, he, he puts a, a man of color mm-hmm. like front and center of the story. So he's obviously pushing the Chinaman thing. Um, and in uh, why so many Shamuses, we have so many mentions of ghosts, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't forgive you if you had picked the supernatural uh, agent as the solution, as the sin for that story. Because Eve is just constantly complaining about the ghosts in the walls. Yeah. Like, if there was any story to have supernatural elements, it'd be the one where they talk about ghosts and all the time. No, right? absolutely. Surely. And, like, I think that the the way that he did that in the first three stories was a bit less upfront, particularly the very first story in the collection, yeah. it could have literally been just about any of them. Just about any which of the I, sins. Yeah. I absolutely loved. It was a fantastically put together one. Yeah. But he's kind of eased back on it and made yeah. it more a debate between two or three in each of the stories. Yeah. And I think that in terms of the collection's uh, health mm. overall, that's the best way he could have done it. I, I don't know. I, I really enjoy that the solutions are so like tied into the stories themselves. Yeah. I, um, I will say I am kind of expecting that because there is a tie-in between all of the stories, because mm-hmm. Eve Adam is traveling between all of these stories, I'm imagining that the way that Josef Skoreski set this up is that the first story was very explicitly the first one, the last one was very explicitly the last one, sure. and then the other tie-ins are kind of uh, not inane but flexible. Sure. I mean, they're episodes, right? They're episodes yeah. in a TV show. Like, obviously, they do reference each other and say, well, you know, previously when I was here, but I think that the order of them becomes less significant once we get into the middle of the story, which is why probably some of the weaker stories uh, sat in the middle, even though these definitely have the most intricate puzzles. And at the same time, I do think that there is a value to having the most intricate puzzles with the weakest stories because, you know, it's hard to get one without bogging down the other. Sure. 
I mean, especially with the math- mathematicians. I can't even the say cursed. it right. It's just, it's the just cursed cursed me. story. I will say that of all the stories, that is the one that I, I'm still not 100% on how it works myself. Yeah. Having read it over and over again in preparation for this show, I still am like, is that what that means? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> It's like I, th- I think if you if you do read the back end of the story after the after the question box, it yes. does make sense, and you can say, "All right, this is the culprit. This is what yeah. happened. This is what this." The meant. story makes sense. It's just figuring out the exact details of like who lied where, and like it's... figuring out what the book actually like the pause box actually wants from you yeah. is a little tricky. And admittedly, if we were reading this as a standalone novel and not dealing with the question boxes, we probably would be totally okay with it. But we, yeah, sure. because we've just read the answers in this break here, at least I have, it's <laughs> it's it's not it's quite right. as cohesive. I'll I'll confirm for you that that story in particular is incohesive. <laughs> the opposite <laughs> of cohesive, it is that. All right, well. Herds, as bitter mm. as I am, as <laughs> bitter as I, I can, am. I can feel the temperature rising in the room. <laughs> it is just about time for the end of the show. Next week, Herds, we are covering the last three stories in the collection, An Atlantic Romance, Just Between Us Girls, and The Third Tip of the Triangle. I'm excited to get into them. I haven't touched them yet. Oh, my goodness. We still have the supernatural one, and the ghost story wasn't the one with supernatural elements, so I'm... Uh, a little concerned. Oh, I do like ghost stories. It'll be something really spooky. Get around the campfire. Though oh. that said, I guess the third tip of the triangle does sound very Illuminati, so that's probably oh. that's probably going to be the one. Maybe the culprit is just a big eye. It's an eye. It's, it's coming for you. <laughs> it's, the culprit is geometry, and it's yes. actually just the mathematicians it's of Gro- the Grizzly mathematicians. Drive coming to haunt us again. Look, snake comes back. <laughs> He's coming after us. This is the end. Of course, because some snakes like vipers have triangular heads. It's all coming back together <gasps> oh! now, Hertz. <laughs> oh, scary. <laughs> all right. This has been Death of the Reader. We will see you with those stories next next week. Thank you very much for joining us. See you next time.